Coming up, readings beyond the raffle and Theoryland approved conjecture. Deep dive into the spells and scrolls of nerd culture. Absorb Stormlight. Home sympathy. Harness Sayadar and Sayadeen. This is Phantology. You may have heard of us. What's up, Will Shapers? This is Phantology with our part three review of Rhythm of War. And we have four people, actually, of the of the possible Phantology five. So I've got Ryan and Ben and Josh. Josh is frantically finishing up his listen, actually, of part three. And he's going to hop in, so we're going to get some red hot takes. And if you're listening, we're not going to uh, spoil anything past part three. So if you've just barely finished, you're safe to listen. We swear there won't be any spoilers. We haven't really read past anyway, so we should be good to go there. We are going to have some theories, and if the theories turn out to be right, then that means, I mean, we're not cheating, right? And actually, Ryan, some things you said in part in the part two review, I think already came to fruition. Yeah. What can I say? I am a prophet of Roshar. <laughs> <laughs> So you're Teravangian on his on his second brightest day. Uh-huh. <laughs> so if you happen to be a big fan of Phantology and a big fan of Dresden, then you will know that this is not Josh's first time fr- frantically trying to finish something before a podcast. He also did this with uh with yeah. Battleground, the last Dresden book to come out. And it was like he was like listening to it like three X speed or something. You know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of a homework assignment that's due and your teacher's collecting the homework and you're frantically trying to write uh-huh. in the last answers before you turn in your homework. Yeah. And typically those assignments are not, uh, you don't do very well on them. So we, we, we hope for the best for, uh, for our colleague, Josh, here when he comes on. And please don't let him know how much we've uh, badmouthed him. But uh, so let's go into our review a little bit here. So... Like part two, we're going to start with the interludes that preceded the part three action. Then we will talk through all of the characters in part three, and then we'll leave off some time for some theories, some worst of the best from the part, and then we will stop right before the next set of interludes, and that will be in our part four review, which will come out soon. So before we get started, if you like Phantology, you can find more at www.phantologybooks.com. Dot com. We have our full catalog on there. And if you want to support the show, you can do that at patreon.com slash phantology underscore books. And shout out to our new patron, Casey Walsh. Thank you for your support. Casey, very much appreciate it. Just know that all the money from patron, uh, from patron support goes directly back into the podcast, making this the best product possible for you fantasy book lovers. So interlude number one before, well, interlude number four. But the first one before part three was a Vire Moash interlude. So with Moash, how much of a villain is he for you guys? Because he ranges from the F Moash subreddit to the people who think Moash did nothing wrong. And honestly, I feel like I kind of fall somewhere in the middle where I don't necessarily like 
seeing him on the page, I don't know if he always really gets my hair on my arms standing up, right? Like, is he really that villainous to you guys yet? Well, I feel like this interlude specifically really kind of rewrote his character, right? Like, he's kind of full on, like, psychopath now. Just doesn't care. He has kind of, like, this weird reputation around town of just being this guy who likes to, like, haul rocks and work. And he has, like, somebody who considers themselves to be Vire's friend or Moash's friend. And they're like, oh, I think I'm going to go away. And he's like, ah, all right. Sounds good. See you later. Peace out. You know what I mean? Like, he just doesn't... It doesn't feel like he's making any type of connection on a real human in a real human way. I don't know. So I feel like this kind of took Moshe's character and just like it was a it was a big change. Well, he's he's really interesting because he's clearly what would happen to Kaladin if he gives in to Odium, right? If he just decides to give up his passions, uh, then he would become essentially just like Moash. He'd be super good at killing but other than that he just wouldn't really care much about anything and right now it, the fact that Kaladin cares is what's hurting him the most so I, Moash is just a very pained person who is is really struggling to try and figure out I, I guess just just trying to figure out what's right and it, it's kind of gone a very dark way for him and in order to deal with the the consequences of his actions he's kind of just had to give up i don't think he's truly evil but um i think he's a good villain so what do you think about he he sees himself as unchained right like that's the way he describes himself what do you feel about how do you feel about that description i mean he doesn't consider that as evil he's just like hey i'm unchained i i don't care about anything like i've given everything to odium i'm i'm just doing I guess what feels right. I don't know. Like, how do you feel about his description of himself there? I guess uh, what you guys were saying there kind of makes me reevaluate my opinion a little, especially kind of, I like how you were describing him as a psychopath, Ben and talking about him being unchained. Yeah. I mean, I guess that could be where Kaladin would possibly go if he was to go this direction and he stopped trying to care. And he's just like, I can't do it. The, you know, death before life type of uh, type of thinking, I guess would, would put you at this point where none of these things really held you back. But at the same time, it's like, okay, you don't have the, the, these chains, these things weighing you down, these things that make life life difficult, but then, you know, what is there to live for? There's, there's nothing left. Yeah. And he even kind of insinuates that at the end of the chapter where ODM Odium says, I want to do with Kaladin what I've done with you. And then Moash thinks to himself, well, I'll kill Kaladin to save him from that. So I think he's that's he's admitting to himself that there's not really anything left for him to live for. He's just kind of still going because he doesn't even have the passion to take his own life. Not that he should. I'm not advocating that he should. Well, he also, he says that there's two types of freedom that he could offer Kaladin, or I forget the word he uses. One of them is to become like himself where he has given everything to Odium and the other is to kill Kaladin, right? So like, and he sees both of those almost as equally valid choices. 
so that kind of is also like indicative of how he values life. Do you guys think, uh, I mean, are we expecting to get a bigger moment with him? We've just kind of seen him a few times throughout the book and in smaller scales, but uh, th- yeah. this must pay off somehow before the end, well, I would assume. This is also, this kind of uh, weaves itself way through part two <clears throat> because we we know kind of that that him and uh, that Mush and Odium come up with a plan to kind of invade Calvin's dreams uh, and to kind of put him like push him up to the ledge and allow him to step off right and we kind of see that happening until the very end of part two where Kaladin is waking up from this fitful dream of nightmares and shadows chasing him and it actually took me until that point to be like oh crap this is this is Odium and and Vire or Moash working together to affect Kaladin like this part part three I'm assuming is what you mean sorry part three yeah. Yeah. Is this almost like a uh, similar to a Bondsmith type thing going on here with this connection that Dalinar is making, and you know, connection capital C. I think Odium uses connection capital C as well when he talks about Vire and Kaladin and filling the holes in Kaladin's soul with with this type of like evil nightmare going on. I don't. I don't think it's related. I mean, he's because he's using. Uh, Odium is using, I, I guess, kind of Moash maybe as a bridge to Kaladin, but I don't know that it's related to the type of connection that Kaladin or that Dalinar uses to connect him to other people. I don't know. Maybe it could be. Maybe just more of a generic magical connection. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And Ben also, you know, uh, Moash is in the background as well because he's the one that's been operating the oath gates using the honor blade mm-hmm. right and they don't they don't realize yeah. that we do as the reader well one i think navani does because she says moash the murderer uh she knows it's him oh does she okay i don't remember that exact detail but yeah. there's there's one other so when kaladin is going after the second node or no the the first node when Kaladin is defending that first node that they found inside the wall, there's some rubble that was cut away and Kaladin looks at it and it's like very cut very precisely with a shard blade. And I thought Moash was going to step out and, and be involved in that fight, but I guess not. But so there's, there's been a few clues of him kind of lurking around. I, I would assume by the end he comes in, but we will yeah. see. Yeah. Okay. So next one is lift and The main thing here is we learn kind of her backstory, not necessarily her backstory, but we learn that cultivation has done something even more so than we, what we first suspected. And then later on in the part, we learn that she's powered by lifelight and we don't know why this happened, but it is obviously pretty important for what Navani is figuring out at the same time. And then there's also this side thing going on with a red AVR that Mraze is fighting uh, against it, it, there there's some guy who was killed that we assume raises associated with this so uh still don't know what raise is up to but lift has been i guess pulled into it a little bit yeah that that was kind of weird with with lift i think the thing that i wanted to talk about with her and her too like the murray's thing kind of confused me um but i love how we found out that her that the thing she went to cultivation for was to not change right she says she said like i don't want to change and 
and we kind of uh-huh. knew that that was her kind of shtick from the from the very beginning right like she doesn't want to get older she doesn't want to grow yeah so anyway and we we know that it has something to do with her mom maybe her mom passed away actually i think it's confirmed that she did and so maybe she knew that her mom was getting sick and she didn't want her to get to get sicker anyway it was something like that yeah yeah and so it, it was honestly hard hard not to for me not to like really like lift before lift was kind of like a silly character but at that point it was like well wow, you're now like very i guess relatable and then also like imagining her like I think going through puberty and having her body change like that and her trying to deal with that. She was talking about wrapping her chest. Um, It made you realize that like this character is going through a lot of stuff right now. That would be hard. She's not just a silly child anymore. And she has like no support other than her void spread, not really a void spread, but I will say with lift, I I really like those developments, but um, it did kind of make me feel like, edge dancer was kind of wasted like i've always been kind of an edge dancer apologist you know um like i liked it i enjoyed the story and i thought it was a cool tie-in to oathbringer but now i oh, feel the like story it, not the order yeah sorry the story the 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 novella of edge dancer but i feel like if um we could have lived inside lift's head for you know an entire novella it would have been much more interesting having known her entire backstory because i think it would have made for more relatable and emotional moments for for us yeah that's true so you feel like edge dancer was wasted because it didn't explore her backstory more because we're not getting it on the the emotional payoff until this one interlude when there was already a whole novella right josh yeah exactly like i feel like now i really want to have a novella from lift's perspective knowing what we know about her you know, but we're not going to get a second one, presumably. So I wish that kind of we would have, you know, been able to find that information out before. I don't really see why we couldn't have found that information out before. At least the fact that she like didn't want to grow up because, you know, she wanted to stay her mother's little girl. Like just knowing that like confirmed would have been so much more interesting having a novella from that perspective. I feel like it could have been a lot more emotional. And I think that's the main criticism of Ed- Edge Dancer was that there wasn't a lot of emotional stakes in it. It was just kind of a fun romp with Lyft. Yeah, but I mean, I, I guess a side purpose of Edge Dancer was to explain or was to explore Lyft's character a little bit more. And I do agree that it, it co- probably could have been a bit more emotional and it would have been a good opportunity to bring out some more of Lyft's backstory. But I think the primary purpose of the story of Edge Dancer was to explore because nail makes this critical change in his ideology from i need to kill radiance to prevent the desolation from coming to he changes to realize i was wrong and i've been acting wrong for years and so i i think that edge dancer served its purpose which was to to bring about those events that we wouldn't have otherwise read about. And it's not necessarily a lift story so much as, as it is a story about bridging the gap between words. Yeah, I don't so know, I man. Think, well, I think it did. So I, I think it did a really good job with what you were saying with the whole nail. And, but, but I feel like that could have been explored through like a novella from a different perspective. I don't know. I just feel like 
we I wish uh, we would have had that character development within Edge Dancer. Like I don't know why they couldn't have even explained some of that stuff in Edge Dancer as well with the backstory with her mom. You know, I feel like it was yeah. I that, think we but. could have had we could have had our cake and ate it too, for, and got both of those things in that novella. I was gonna say one last thought. I know that Sanderson has talked about um, the fact that he wanted Lyft to kind of break the mold of what we would expect a Radiant to be, similar to Stump. Uh, like the old woman that we met in part two. The stump. Uh, he, he said the stump, right? I feel like he wanted to say, hey, like a radiant doesn't just have to pick this early 20s like person that's going to be a hero. It can be like a, a little girl who just is oh, yeah. silly. And so I feel like the now we're kind of getting into a bit more seriousness. She's growing up. She's contemplating life a bit more. And I feel like that's kind of a natural transition to occur. That's true. And yeah, for I, sure. think we're, I think we're going to get a lot more of Lyft in era two of Stormlight. Mm-hmm. I think I remember hearing that she's going to be one of the main characters. So maybe Sanderson's just really waiting to like delve deep into her psyche until era two, which is fine. Anyway, this, this makes, I mean, the story, this interlude, I should say, really reveals two important things, which is that Lyft uh, doesn't make stormlight from food. She makes life light, which is of cultivation, which is interesting. And I don't even really know what the full implications of that are, other than perhaps the siblings' dampening effects don't affect her quite as much because of that. Um, and then also, Mraze is playing both sides of the conflict, which is uh, not super surprising. But the question that I really want to know, which maybe you guys have some good theories about, is how is this boon been applied to Lyft? If her age, she, she wanted her age not to change, but her age is obviously changing. So what about her isn't changing? Well, mm-hmm. so I thought it, it read, as long as I am, as long as everything is going bad for me, I don't want to change. And so now that things are going good for her, she's starting to change. That, that's what Seems I thought. Kind of weird. That's what I thought the reveal was, because the the exact wording was something along the lines of, "While like while everything is terrible, I want to stay the same." And then she did. She stayed like little. I think she's like actually older than ten or eleven or twelve. You know, however old she appears, I think she's actually like a good amount older than that. But she doesn't look it. So I think her body like stopped changing and developing for a while. Well, all right. I guess we're going with that explanation for now. I'm not 100 percent on that. We'll have to we'll have to talk later about that. But I'm similar to you, Ryan. I I don't know. When I read that part, that was what I came away understanding. So I could have, I could be wrong. But I'm like, I'm not just trying to come up with like a wild theory. That was like my, (laughs) what I thought. Okay. Getting. Yeah, and we definitely may mess up some of these details. So hop on our Discord server, Phantology Discord. Invites are in episode descriptions and everywhere where you find Phantology and let us know what we're missing. So final interlude was again, a Teravangian interlude. And this is a dumb Teravangian or at least a below average Teravangian. But this was interesting because Teravangian started to kind of doubt himself and he saw that dumb Teravangian could actually trick Odium and he sees the importance of one Renarin Colin and Ryan in your episode, in our episode two, Review, you totally called this because this was referenced at the end of Oathbringer and again here 
And so what's coming out of this is that anyone close to Renarin, since Renarin can see the future, is someone that Odium doesn't quite have wraps on. He, he's not able to see all of the possibilities here. The Doctor Strange phenomenon is broken a little bit. And then after Teravangian realizes this, he's like, I'm still going to fight somehow. We're not really sure what that means. And then he still does decide to betray the coalition. So yeah. Teravangian impressions? Well, well, I just want to go back because I, I went and looked up the Lyft chapter. Okay. So <laughs> it says, I asked not to change, Lyft whispered, opening her eyes. I said, when everything else is going wrong, I want to be the same. I want to stay me, not become someone else. Yeah. Okay. But that doesn't mean she stayed this. What I mean, what's gone terribly wrong for Lyft throughout her life? It seems like all everything's She's kind of all broken living away. on the streets. <laughs> well, <laughs> I think that. when she when she was like on the like she lost her mom and then was on the streets and then like you know I think she's always had like an optimistic outlook, but she was just like trying to steal food to stay alive. But then once she like started okay. having friends and living, she started to change. I guess the other the other uh, interpretation there is that she still is herself, but who you are changes, but you're still lift. But I, I don't know. Yeah, e- either way. Okay, we are going to move on to Teravangian, though. Josh sorry, is going sorry, for a very sorry, hard sorry. magic here. Okay. <laughs> okay, so you asked what thoughts about Teravangian. Yes. I am so impressed at how this is probably Sanderson's best great character I would say it's he's he's taken over Moash at this point, right? Like he, uh, like you're constantly like this guy is the biggest jerk. He's hiring an assassin to go kill all everybody, and now he's betraying Dalinar. But at the same time, realizing that he still wants to fight, and at the same time, even when he is betraying Dalinar, he's doing what's best for his little nook of the world, which you can't really fault somebody too much for that. So like, it's really cool. I mean. I, I really appreciate this interlude for Teravangian. Sanderson said the chapter later where him and Dalinar are talking, where he talks about how he's like the bearer of agonies and he's willing to do whatever it takes to save the small cl- sliver of the uh, humanity in Carbranth. Sanderson said that was his favorite chapter to write in this part. Yeah, I know I went, I know I referenced this, I think in our primer, but it was the analogy of, if you have three people and you know two of them are guilty of murder, but one of them's not, what do you do as a leader? And Teravangi says you kill all three of them. And it's because a, a, a monarch's purpose is to have his soul stained so that everybody else can live pure and innocent lives. Like that analogy was such a good foreshadow for every, like it was pretty much that analogy encapsulated this whole like final interaction between Dalinar and Teravangian in this part where uh, it was kind of both of them really coming into their own worldviews and allowing those worldviews to dictate their actions. Teravangian's not backing down from his decisions, but at the same time, he's he's making it clear that he might not be giving up completely either. Which honestly, I didn't understand. Like him not giving up, what does this mean? I guess we don't, we'll see, but it yeah. doesn't seem like he's doing a whole lot to not give yeah. up. Like that last conversation with Dalinar, you're like, okay, I was expecting a little bit more from this, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, maybe you're going to tell Dalinar since you're not giving up, <laughs> but instead you're, like, fully expecting to just still be killed here. I, I didn't quite understand that. Yeah, that was a little weird. All right, so we're through the interludes. 
Let's go into our <laughs> main characters. So Shalon and Adolin, they're off in Shadesmar doing whatever. So uh, we'll, we'll you know wish them the best. We'll catch up with them in part four. Part three was all about <laughs> Kaladin and Navani in the tower and a little bit of Dalinar and Yasna, the, off in Emil, with some Venli in the tower and some flashbacks as well. The flashbacks finally started. So I guess for me, Kaladin was the most compelling uh, plotline here. I kind of liked uh, someone in our Discord server said really? this was basically Kaladin doing Die Hard in the tower. And I I, I mean, yeah, I, I thought it was fun to see him basically all of his powers taken away and he was like slowly building things back up. And it reminded me of some things back in Way of Kings. And I just kind of like this type of story where you have a character who's really downtrodden. He's got to like gather his resources. Kind of reminds me of some Name of the Wind where you're always wondering how many talents Quoth has in his wallet. I was really into Kaladin, but I guess no for you, Ben. This is Home Alone, all right? Yeah, a little bit of that too. Kaladin's Home Alone <laughs> <for> robbers. <laughs> I was kind of thinking this is like a Ze- like Zelda doing a big Zelda puzzle, you know, like having to go around and collect different objects to unlock certain things and like build your abilities. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, we'll get to Ben's hot or ice cold take, I think, in a second. But I just want to say I agree with you, Stephen, that this was I re- I really really enjoyed Kaladin's parts in this. See, I feel like for you, like. All those reasons that you listed are the exact reasons why I didn't like it. <laughs> it was very much, it felt like to me, like we just need Kaladin to be doing something right now. And so we're just going to have him do stuff. And that stuff uh-huh. can be anything. It just, I'm like, Kaladin's come so far and he's just knocked back to square one. I don't know. And it's not like he swore so that None of this deal. was compelling for you. You, you need of this big was things. You don't care about him practicing with the new Fabriel. Yeah, I'm like, there's a glove. He's like a glove. Like, that's his new power. Glove from Iron Man suit, all right? Dude, that's, yes, that's what I was thinking. Okay, I I think I made my point. Those exact reasons why you guys did like it, I just didn't like it because of those same things. Yeah, I guess we agree to disagree. I. What did I, you think, Ryan? I am I'm kind of in the middle here. I think that there were a lot of parts that Ben said where Kaladin was doing stuff just to do stuff. And I wanted more, like, I guess, more meaningful actions from him. I, I mean, I guess it's it's meaningful that he's risking his life to go to an ardent and get supplies for Teft and he's watching over Teft. But I loved the last part where the sibling is like, my node's about to be taken and um, Navani's like contact the wind runner and she does. And so Kaladin's like, he's there, he's beat up. He's just emotionally distraught, can't sleep at all. And he gets this call and he's like, all right, I got to do it. I, I have no matter what. And so like without his powers, he's just doing whatever he can using this Fabriel and he's clearly outgunned and he still pulls it out. The one thing that I will say about Kaladin, which is kind of off topic from what anybody else has said, is I expected this book to push us in the direction of some sort of romance. And I mean, before this book, I I was thinking, well, I kind of want Kaladin and and Yasno to to end up together. But it's become Uh more and more apparent that uh, Yasna's isolated from Kaladin. I think that Sanderson would have 
would have ended up starting something between them by this point if they were going to end up together. Well, I think Yasna and Lyft have, or, and Wit have something going on. Well, let me finish my point and then okay, we, we can talk about that. So then I was thinking because of the part one, well, maybe like something's going to happen between Kaladin and Leshwi. I mean, I know Leshwi is several thousand years old and a different species, but hey, we're not discriminating. And somewhat insane. Yeah. We're not discriminating between species here. Um, but then I figured, well, like somehow Kaladin's going to have to strengthen this relationship with Leshwi, and that hasn't happened. And so I'm a little bit disappointed that nothing's happened up through part three still with Ryan just he's looking to ship Kaladin with somebody yeah it is a good point Ryan and this is something I talked about before all of Kaladin's romances are just off screen and just written off I mean he had the two when he was younger and then the thing with uh, Lynn over the year that we miss is just like, Hey, that happened. Yeah. Uh, by the way, no, yeah. there were some scenes where Adolin and Shalon were trying to help him out and uh, nothing really came of that. So it was hinted at a little bit, but it doesn't seem like Sanderson's really, uh, at least not in this book, he's not really going yeah. in, into the romance vein at all. Yeah. So, okay. Okay. I, I have a few thoughts. <sighs> go, go ahead. Go ben. I'll just, I'll, I'll save mine. No, I want my last word. Okay, you can have your last word. Okay, so about the romance, part of me is a little bit happy that Sanderson isn't ruining like one of his best characters ever with like a subpar romance because he's not very good at romance. Like that's that. I think what everyone agrees about is yeah. Sanderson's weakest, you know. And and it's kind of like with Kelsier. Kelsier had well, I don't want to do many spoilers for uh, Mistborn, but it's kind of like Kelsier, right? Like, yeah, sure, yeah, okay. So one thing in general about this book that I've had a little bit of a hard time with is it seems like everything is meant to teach you something about the world, right? And it seems like most of the scenes and most of the character viewpoints in this book so far have been like, okay, this is happening, but let me teach you something like really important about Stormlight or Voidlight or Lifelight. And and so it feels like you're having so much to keep track of in the subtext of all of these cool and done well scenes. So I felt like it was really refreshing to see Kaladin have some, some missions, little mini missions that he gets to kind of go do without really having to worry about that stuff. And I feel like the tension was done well. So I feel like that's why I really like Kaladin's uh, viewpoint in this chapter. I feel like this is something that you would look back on this book and be like, Oh yeah, there's that whole sequence where Kaladin was, sneaking around the tower but then when you like went back and reread it you would be like oh yeah that was a really cool sequence i can agree with that okay here's my final thing yeah let's hear your final word ben <laughs> okay i never felt like the stakes were super high with kaladin i never felt like he was gonna die so even when he was like facing down the pursuer and like 15 other heavenly ones it just felt like he had such he had a lot of plot armor going into this. Okay, so that's my main point. I will say that the MVP of this uh, sequence is David, and I feel David. like <laughs> I feel like this was Sanderson. If you're active on Reddit, you can't read more than like 20 comments without somebody saying "life before death" radiant, like when somebody says uh-huh. kind of like a hard thing. Uh huh. I feel like this is like Sanderson speaking to all of his Reddit fans. Where David, like the one word he 
the first words he utters are like life before death. That was a cool moment, I will say. Dude, is Dab going to become a radiant now? He, he's one third of the way there, maybe. Remember my crazy theory from part two, Stephen? Yeah, Ryan thinks David is going to become the bondsmith that bonds the sibling. It's a crazy other theory, but who knows? I could get behind that. I don't. I think he's too much of a tertiary character or quaternary character, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> I mean, I kind of forgot he existed until we had him pop up here randomly. <laughs> I have a crazy theory in kind of relation to uh, Kaladin and Syl, who we didn't talk about. I think the more emotionally impactful moments in Kaladin sequences were his conversations with Syl and Syl becoming more human-like and trying to relate to him and, and, you know, showing some morose tendencies as well, thinking about her knight that died previously. So my crazy theory is that uh, like somehow Spren can become full on human, probably crazy. I don't really, I I don't know if I'm really going to get behind it or not, but I feel like maybe there's like an additional change that a Spren can go into where they really do become like, I don't know if they can actually become human or they can like fully manifest in the physical realm somehow. Something is going to make them like more and more human. It, this has really been something that he's been doing a lot with the Spren as they're trying to become more, I mean, mostly Syl, but I, I don't know. Like, could there be something here? Or is it too crazy? Well, I think it, he's hinted that like Syl is like changing colors more, becoming more lifelike. She's able to, yeah, she's able to have more of a physical impact. Yeah. Yeah, so I wouldn't say it's too crazy. Yeah, I feel like the way he's doing that is kind of making people go into Shadesmar and interacting with Spren as humans that way. Yeah. I I think it was in part three. It was, if not, it's probably in part two where we find out that the Span... Is it Spanreads? No, the Fabriel... Whatever they are, are actually like Spren that have become like metal. what What are those things called? Metal. Shard blades? Shard blade. No, not shard blades. Gemstones, like what Shalon was or Shalon was trying to steal from Yasna. Soul, oh, soul casters. Caster. Soul casters. I don't know why I forgot that, but because it was kind of Nivani's thing, trying to figure out how soul casters worked, and you realize that it was like a full-on sprint that had like become like metal, and that was like how they were able to like have their powers that it was a normal Fabriel. So, yep, that's also kind of like an example of a of a sprint having more of a physical presence in the in the world and the oath gates too mm-hmm. oath gates as well and those yeah we don't know exactly how those work special type of spread okay so we leave off with kaladin out in the storm he's pretty much dead down our saves him a little bit fate still very much in the balance ben so i know you had said he had plot armor and yeah he kind of does he literally well, has the storm father throw him back on the bridge <laughs> It's because Dalinar, another character, came in and saved him. Plot armor house has a reason, dude. It's, it's like, but that doesn't mean it's not plot armor. I think that's like more Deus Ex Machina, like literally a semi god coming and catching yeah. you and putting you back on the ledge is prime example. Yeah. I, I was I was fine with it. Come on, we can't have Kaladin die. Poor people at the very beginning of the storm that the Stormfather doesn't give two Fs about, though. <laughs> like, just knocked him out with a boulder. Oh, crap. Those guys are already dead. Sorry, Dalinar. <laughs> <laughs> then, like, 30 seconds later, he's just like, ah. Yeah, he's just hoping Dalinar's going to drop it. And he's like, ah, oh, nope, they're, they're gone, dude. <laughs> so one one thing that 
we didn't really talk about in the interludes though is that Odium has clearly taken an interest in Kaladin and Kaladin's being significantly affected by these visions that he's seeing these dreams which he doesn't realize are visions could you guys at this point see Kaladin becoming Odium's Odium's champion no man Uh, I, I hope not I mean, I think that's been the fear ever since we learned about Odium's champion, you know, is that it's going to either be Dalinar or Kaladin. I, I have discarded it pretty much offhand every time, Was but he can't just be like, oh, now I'm going to make Dabit Odium's champion or somebody like <laughs> yeah. that. Um, it's got to be like somebody who you're emotionally connected to, right? And Yeah, for sure, for and, sure. How crazy of a twist would it be if Kaladin, not that I want it to happen, but how crazy of a twist would that be? So, so I think, I think it's much more likely that Adolin is on that track than, than Kaladin is. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's likely. I mean, that was always the theory after Words of Radiance when he killed uh, Sedius and you're like, okay, yeah, he's, he's bound for dark things. And then, oh, turns out that didn't matter at all. Yeah, and then in part two, he decapitates like three people and chops the guy's arm off. Like, he's definitely has a streak of his father in there. So, yeah, I guess that's that's more of a part, part two plot line. But okay, so further into part three, or I guess going to a different character here in part three, let's talk about Venli because the flashbacks finally started, and the flashbacks were a combination of her and Eshenai, as we knew they would be. What was the effectiveness of the flashbacks for you guys? I'm not super Negative. interested in her backstory. <laughs> yeah, gosh. You know, this was my main concern coming into the book was that I previously I haven't cared about the Parshendi all that much. And I was worried that with these flashbacks, I wasn't going to care. And I haven't been convinced that I should care because there haven't been any super big ramifications from what happened because we already kind of knew that these things happened. Like it was cool seeing Gavilar and Dalinar and good connection back to the beginning of the series. Maybe there's some question of who this uh, mysterious woman accent with, I think is her name. I wrote down her name from, I'm assuming the sons of honor who gave the void spren the first time. Maybe we wonder like, is her mom still around? But those things all like, it doesn't seem like any of those things matter all that much compared to the other flashbacks that we, you know, prompted these huge questions and twists. Yeah. I, I think the, you're right. It's not, it's not been very huge revelations so far. The things that have kind of been interesting are that, Oh, she's, she knew Ulim a lot longer than we previously had known. And he was in fact, kind of like a spren inhabiting her gem heart trapping another sprint in there kind of like the opposite where he was a void sprint trapping a normal sprint now she has um a light sprint trapping a void sprint so uh, that's kind of been the most interesting interesting thing and i guess we do see this sibling rivalry which is pushing her kind of onto darker and darker paths trying to trying to set herself apart from as shown i that, that's been the main thing and I'm hoping that Sanderson's setting up for a bit greater reveals with with Venley's backstory and 
And he usually has been. I mean, with with other stories, I, I feel like we should maybe trust him a little bit that this yeah. would develop something more. Yeah, honestly, up until most of the way through Kaladin's flashbacks, I didn't really care about them. You know, like I I was more interested in Bridge Four. Than yeah, I was but you in- still had with Kaladin's flashbacks. There was this huge unanswered question of what happened to him, right? And that tension kept the flashbacks going the whole time because you're wondering if you're going to learn more and you were interested in learning about the character. But with Venley, we already know like there, there's no unanswered questions for me right now. Yeah. Okay. The the last thing I will say about this, I I do think it served the purpose of making Venley and Shonai surprisingly like more relatable to me. I understand where they came, where they're coming from a lot more. And I think it's going to have a greater impact when we see Venley actually hopefully accomplish her goal or fail in accomplishing her goal. I think it's going to make me care more about it because I see that this is something she's been trying to do her entire life and not just like, oh, well, now all my people are dead. Let me try and figure out something to do. This is like a lifelong pursuit for her. That's fair because I do think I care about present day Venley a lot more now. I care about those events uh, at least a little bit. And it's fun to see her moving towards another ideal. And she saves Kaladin's family from Lesian and she helps out Relaine. And then she almost swears another ideal, but then she realizes that it can't really you know, go there until she saves Lyft. Instead, she says, I, I will seek freedom for those in bondage. And the words are not accepted. And so she's she's got to do a little bit more and here. My My Moses theory is just like, I mean, come on. Like, this is the next ideal is leading people out of bondage. Yeah, the Moses theory sounds good. Yeah, man. Moses theory is good. This is, I think, is this the first time that a character that a character has had the words not accepted? Because hmm. I feel like every other time when a character is like kind of had the words revealed to them that it was accepted. I know that, like, uh, I guess if we're being technical about Lopen or the Lopen, I think tried to say the words a few times but it was more of yeah like he knew it yeah work. more in jest yeah right yeah i i can i think that's true yeah these words are not accepted one thing yeah. with those was it was a she notes that it was a female in voice that says those words were not accepted i thought that was interesting because i thought it was more of like a stormfather voice that was accepting the other words well who no well this is she's i mean what order is she going to be in because doesn't that matter well, Will Shaper, but are some orders cultivation and some honor? I think so. I'm not sure. Maybe she was just Good doing questions. it. Stormfather couldn't reach her at that point. <clears throat> Maybe it's kind of five and five. When Navani was talking about the different music scales, and she was like, she was talking about how they use a scale that is like a 10 note scale, but it's split up into two five note scales. That might be, you know, kind of what the orders are. Five are from honor, five are from cultivation. Who have we actually seen? Gosh, maybe, you know, just like a demo, this is not something we should do while we're recording, but let's try anyway. Who have we actually seen swear oaths? So Windrunners, obviously, and we've heard the Stormfather accept those words. I, I think it was the Stormfather, you know, acting as a proxy for honor, we would assume. And then obviously Dalinar, but that's, you know, directly to the Stormfather I don't think we've seen Shalon actually have any of her oaths been accepted by 
some mysterious voice in the sky and other orders we haven't really seen directly advance. Have we seen Lyft swear any oaths? Because I figure she would definitely be the one if if Cultivation was going to talk to anybody, it would be her, right? Yeah. Let's go back and check that out. Yeah, good theory. Okay, this is Phantology. We'll investigate. And if you're listening, please let us know uh, if you have any insights on this, whether or not some are of honor, some are of cultivation, and if this will be something that cultivation gets more involved in eventually. Wait, wait. How many bondsmiths are there going to be to kind of riff off that? We know that there's supposed well, to be there a bondsmith. Could be three. Okay, so we're not saying that there's a bondsmith for every distinct type of order. No way, man. Come on, this is this is Bondsmith 101. We've got uh, the sibling and the Night Watcher that could still be bonded. And maybe one of the unmade. That's still one of my my hypotheses is that Ooh, yeah. he's gonna he's gonna somehow get a bondsmith, maybe with his own tenth surge. Mm. Yeah, because we've only got the nine surges right now and they don't like the bondsmith surge right now. Whichever one that is, adhesion. Something like that? Yeah. No, Adhesion is one the Kaladins is using successfully. No, no it yeah. is. It's, it's also the Bondsmith one, yeah. That, that's why, well, to answer your question, Ben, though, the Sibling, the Stormfather, and the Night Watcher are the three potential Sprint, and so there are three potential Bondsmiths. So we'll have yeah. Dabid and Dalinar and some Unmade Bondsmith and some other random one for the Night Watcher. Okay. Also, wait, was, was it lost on you that... I feel like they kind of said that bondsmiths were the reason why Ashen was burnt or was ruined. Surges. I I think it mentioned. I think that I'm trying. I'm trying to remember when the conversation happened and who it was with. But I thought uh, Dalinar was like trying to get better with his powers, and they were. And somebody told him that that was. I don't think. No, no, no. I, th- I think they just said that that was. The initial connection from Ashen. I don't know. Actually, now I'm kind of remembering when um, Dalinar was talking to the Stormfather, right? This, and he's he was saying, "How come you didn't know I was capable of this?" And the Stormfather mm-hmm. was like, "Well, there's a lot of things that you could be capable of, but Tanavast was wasn't he kind of keeping check on some of the powers that the Bondsmiths could use?" I think so. Hmm. Okay. Well, we're discovering in this episode that there are a lot of answers that we don't have yet. It's a big one. But that's fine. I mean, we're only three-fifths of the way through the book, right? And only uh, four books out of five in the first sequence. So there's many more secrets to be revealed. Okay, let's talk about Navani. So this was the scientist chapter or part with Navani. Real heavy. Like, basically, if you don't care about the scientific method and your your brain doesn't uh, think that way, you're probably not into the Navani chapters. I'm like medium into it. So uh, I thought it was interesting, but at some point you do just kind of like accept what's going on and you're like, okay, yeah, this is interesting. But, you know, Sanderson, please just tell me what the answer is. I'm I'm liking them. I think mainly because of how we're, we're learning more about uh, Rabaniel and we know that Rabaniel's evil. She tried to keep create that disease that would kill only humans. But yeah. I'm almost liking uh, Rabaniel and from her interactions with Navani. And so I'm just wondering: is she just this good at being deceitful, or 
is there another side to Raboniel that we don't know yet? I'm not sure. What do you guys? Yeah, think? we're we're definitely trying to. We know that Raboniel has like an evil plan that requires like the radiance be left alive, and that is some way to win the war. I don't know. I think I've just kind of had in the back of my mind that Rabon Raboniel is like absolute epitome of evil, and she's just very good at putting on a good face. Mm. So you don't buy that she is actually trying to find peace, dude. She <laughs> she's she trying would, to find like, peace through annihilation. To, she created she created like COVID negative nineteen. <laughs> she created this disease that was supposed to like wipe out a tenth of humanity, but like also have some senior casualties. And she was like, ah, sounds no, good. It was supposed to wipe out all of humanity, <laughs> but I think it only wiped out. Oh, like, yeah. Okay. Yeah, but it only decimated us. So okay. My crackpot theory is that she's trying to like come up with the equivalent of an atomic bomb because she's she always like talks about the axioms, which I think is kind of equivalent to atoms. You know, they talk about how the axioms make up everything. So I think okay. that's just, and so and so she's talking about how she wants to get the like void light to cancel the cancel out the Yeah, you're definitely the right on lights. So yeah. I think she's the opposite of roshar yeah and and so she's going to use the antimatter light spears that navani was talking about something like that yeah to like create like bombs that will just that gavilar had yeah it, it foreshadows that with the discussion about troop formations and battles like attacking and what's like well if you can just destroy tens of thousands of people like one person can that you know decide to gather themselves together like that then mm. You know, yeah. and also, also one parallel that I think is really interesting is both Rabonael and Dalinar are trying to come up with ways to end the entire conflict altogether. Yeah. While everybody else takes more of a myopic view, they're both, it has a lot of those parallels in, okay. in their views. Yeah, I like that. Uh, also, to riff off your atomic bomb theory, she's also interested in figuring out how the, the bridge, fourth bridge flies. So maybe she's trying to come up with some vehicle to dispense the the bomb guys Rabaniel wrote rhythm of war that's my theory and i think, uh, I, yeah. I like it it talks about how the the author was unable to leave the rosharan system and i do mean the in world book not i mean i know brandon sanderson wrote the book we're reading and then uh Mraes gives Rabaniel that present of sorts and we know Mraes is very involved with being a world hopper he's got a collection of lots of stuff they referenced uh, the sand, which comes from white sand, Taldane, and it's talked about by the deepest ones and in the chapter headings. I think it's Rabaniel who's writing this and uh, you know talks about them being thousands of years old. And I want to reread those chapter headings through this lens of an atomic bomb coming. I, I think it could work. I think we need to, maybe this will be a perk for our patrons. I think we need to go through and just put everything together. One thing that I did like about these epigraph things was that Sanderson, if you notice, he said that a lot of them were under text, which he actually yeah. set up in previous books. And, and that is where the woman uh, that is writing will speak to other women and more of like a, like breaking the fourth wall, kind of putting their thoughts and like annotations uh -huh. underneath the like actual text. It was just a cool application of of all this. 
So could could the undertext be Navani annotating the book Rhythm of War that Rabban wrote? Yeah, that could be it. That could mm. be true. I always assumed that it was the person that was writing the book um, that was doing the undertext, like, like dictated for example, by it, the man. If, yeah, right. If a male but is Rabban dictating would, it, no. But but Rabbanel wouldn't know how to write the book, so maybe Rabbanel is dictating it to Navani, who is then writing the oh. undertext. I think Rabbanel knows how to write. Yeah, she could write. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's but true. this undertext thing is going to be important. Some of them are undertext, some of them aren't. And I guess my original point in bringing them that up was of how cool of a world building. This is like a perfect example of like this interesting, unique concept that like you think could exist in society today. In fact, it kind of does with like uh, notes at the end of chapters and stuff. Like it's something that has parallels in today's world that, but that he's kind of like built out, out the system in a lethic culture that he's able to kind of like tie in in this cool way. Okay, so we haven't talked at all about the other parts of the plot here, which is Dalinar and Yasna. And there's a reason for I that. St- I struggled, guys. I st- this was my uh, my worst part of part three. They're off fighting a war, it, and it was so boring. And I had I didn't care about it at all. Am I am I wrong? Yeah, no, you're not wrong. It's become a little bit obvious that this war is almost a device to get them out of the picture while all of this other stuff is going on in the tower. Yeah, yeah, it totally is. Well, and I'm disappointed okay. that it doesn't seem to have any real impact. Yeah. No, okay, okay. Josh, let's no, hear you. Let's no, hear you. Okay. Here. So, first of all, I'm I'm just realizing how much of a fanboy I am because I like recognize what you what I recognize where you're coming from, but so first of all, I think that um, the scenes with Wit and Jasna or in Yasna, which I think we'll talk about more later on, those were super super entertaining with the the politicking and the whole duel with that High Lord. Really? Or, okay. Yeah. Interesting. But 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 let me get uh, yeah, back to I, the, I disagree. But let me. Okay. Okay. Let me get back to Dalinar. So, of course, this is like a diversion. We know that, right? Like, it's Dalinar even knows that, that he's doing something wrong. He just doesn't know what it is. And maybe it is a little bit contrived, but I don't mind it. And I think that there will be a payoff when Dalinar finally figures out what he should have been doing the entire time and finds a way to make that work. I think that's going to be a really big payoff within the book. And I think that... It also gives him a place where he's away from a lot of other characters where he can really work on becoming a bondsmith, bondsmith which I've wanted to see for a while. So I both both yeah, of those I things. I agree with that, Josh. I think I agree with that. I, I agree with Steven's point, though, that like this pointless war isn't the best backdrop for that. It seems so disconnected, the two plots. See, I don't see it as disconnected. I see it as... Sanderson just kind of placing characters where he wants them. Like, okay, we're just going to put like a pause on Adolin. They're off in Shadesmar. Okay, we're going to have Kaladin over here in the tower and he's doing his own thing. So maybe disconnected, but it's also just like very clear character management where he's not even attempting to hide the fact that he's kind of just like juggling all these balls and just needs them to be in a very specific place at specific points of time. So... It's going to work out, right? We, we trust Sanderson that these three very <laughs> disparate plot lines are going to 
come together and we're gonna they're understand that, some reasons. They're not that disparate. I don't. I don't. I don't think they're that dis- disparate. Like especially the the war within the tower. Like I think that they're gonna pretty easily connect. Like I think that they're. I think that they will. I guess trust in the Sanderlanch, Stephen. I I I trust. I I do trust. But that doesn't mean that I haven't been reading this and been like enjoying it. Certainly. But at the same time, just wondering, like, it's it, yeah. it's a little odd sometimes. I think that this is how multiple viewpoint books work. No, well, Josh, we've all read a lot of multiple viewpoint books. We all know how they read. This is this seems much more of like very disconnected. I agree with Stephen, and maybe that goes back to the fact that like Sanderson sets up these books in such a way of like each part is kind of like a self-contained book, and they all kind of come together at the end and that's just kind of how he outlines things and it's how he's able to have these big arching storylines and doesn't get lost in them which i think we all appreciate but at the same time as as a reader you're like i just want to enjoy this reading experience a little bit more than i am right now and that's probably how i feel ben i do think you know you do make a good point josh it is how other books work like the song of ice and fire books lots of viewpoints you're always cycling back and forth between them but one of the big knocks on it was between a feast of crows and a dance of dragons they're two like totally different sets of characters and they're gone for a long time and i guess you see the same types of things and saying okay these characters are going to be absent from this whole plot line uh, of this part and then they're going to be back in the next part hundreds of pages later and i i think he addressed that i think he said like look you know it's part of the way that it's plotted so you may not like it, but uh, we had to do it. Yeah. I'm excited, though, for Dalinar to try and meet Ishar. Yeah. See how that, that far, was a good cliffhanger. How far gone yeah. this herald is, who's proclaimed himself a god priest or god king or something and is fighting yeah, for. I, I think it's pretty apparent that that's why they needed to get him up to Emul, is so that he can meet this Ishar guy. That's yeah. true. That's true. So we're trusting okay. in Sanderson, trusting it's so going to work out. Trusting in Sanderson. Okay, so Josh, to bring up your point about liking Yasna's duel with uh, this random high prince who apparently there's only one that hasn't fallen in line when all, <laughs> the whole plot of Way of Kings was the fact that you have these high princes that are... Oh, uh, yes. Anyway, okay. I think I brought this up in maybe Oathbringer where we talked about how awkward the politicking has been for these books and how... Sanderson's way of winning uh, King, uh, Queen Fenn's like son over to the cause was like dueling him and getting stabbed and then like healing himself by stormlight and like that was the impressive display. It almost felt like a repeat of that, right? Like only like here's Yasna kind of like essentially doing something very similar in a very like forced politicking way. There was like zero setup for it, right? I, I think that's. That was my criticism of it. Josh is holding himself back. <laughs> Let's hear it, Josh. I just liked it. It was cool. It was cool to see Yasna getting involved, like being a queen, because that I think if I think the other thing you would say is, well, we spent so much time following Elicard trying to be a king and Dalinar trying to hold the kingdom together that now that Yasna is in charge, we just don't care anymore. Like there needs to be some scenes, and that's not going to be the primary focus of the book. So I thought that this was a cool way to have like a very entertaining scene that 
address that part of the storyline that we all know is going on, but we just don't really want to see it on screen all that much. Agree with that. Agree it was necessary for Yasna and agree that it was nice in terms of the development of the leadership. But my criticism was the whole thing was centered around this random high prince, Ruthar, who we have no connection to. We're, we know he is a jerk because we're told he's a jerk five pages before the payoff scene happens. And so if it's like if this was like a Sadius type guy who we've had experience with and all of a sudden he's bested, you know, that's awesome. But this dude, who cares? I, 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 that, that was my struggle. Yeah, yeah, I guess I get, but I the thing is I don't think it was about him. I think it was about Yasna showing that she's that she's in charge, that she's holding. Yeah, you know, Alethkar together. There are some, so half appreciated. There are there were some greater political implications, which is that uh, Yasna is clearly she intends for uh, greater change than maybe Dalinar is comfortable with. Because Dalinar's hinted that he's not really comfortable with uh, other forms of government than pure monarchies, but Yasna's like, hopefully, I'll be the last king or queen of Alethala, and and Dalinar's like, yeah. Sometimes Dalinar has those moments of like the the grandpa, like back in my day, there was just monarchs, yeah. and that's the only way it should be done. Like, okay, boomer Dalinar. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Dalinar is like, oh man, the Azish, those guys stink. They can't do anything. And Yasna's like, hey, uh, these guys might have something. Yeah. Yasna's yeah. the AOC. I think that's a fun, it's a fun Dalinar quirk. Roshar. Yeah, man, whipping words around like javelins. <laughs> All right. Wait, Let's wait. Let's actually go. No, 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 no. Yeah. Well, there's one more important thing we need to discuss, which is uh, Yasna's shard plate. Which, um, oh. wait, 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 I'm going to, I wanted to talk about that in the worst of the best, uh, spoilers. So maybe you can bring up your thoughts there. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll reflect <laughs> your worst of the best. All right. <laughs> All right. We are going to go into our worst of the best segment now. So if you're listening to the podcast, if you're listening to the podcast, Kate Redding and Michael Kramer, we'll read that in now. The worst of the best. With so many exemplary moments in this book, it's almost unfair to nitpick. But that's the segment. It's the pimple on the princess, the stain on the satin, and the terror before the triumph. The unfortunate portion of an otherwise stellar performance. Someone has to point it out. Okay, so like we did in the previous two parts for this edition of The Worst of the Best, we're going to talk about the worst thing, from the chapter, obviously, or from the part, obviously, and then either turn that around and make it into the best thing, or just tell us what you're looking forward to in the rest of the book. So I already have mine. Obviously, I can start unless anyone else wants to jump in. Go for it, Sue. Okay, yeah. So mine was the shard plate, the spren plate with Yasna, because we've been looking forward to this for so long, figuring out what, you know, once you figured out what a shard blade was, it was like, obviously, the next thing was, what is a shard plate? And we had seen it in visions. It was glowing. We had so many hints about it with the cousin spren, but it wasn't yet revealed entirely. And even though it seemed so obvious and Reddit had speculated for the past three years that this is what it was and still not necessarily confirmed at this point. But now we've seen Yasna wearing her spren plate. That's just what I'm going to call it. 
And it was so anticlimactic because it was just so matter of fact, like, yeah, okay, I've got shard plate. No one else comments on it. Dalinar is not like, uh, how'd you get the shard plate? That's a actually pretty valuable thing. Can't believe you have one of those, Yasna. You know, how can I get one? It was just so, so felt, felt so flat for me. And the best part was I thought the scene was really good with her fighting and, and, you know, getting a sense of, you know, her unfamiliarity with the battlefield. And this did actually show you the stakes of the battle a little bit, even though I still was not totally sold on this whole conflict. So I guess, Ryan, tell me why I'm wrong here. Well, I don't think you're entirely wrong. I think that it's a little bit weird that she has shard plate and it hasn't been addressed to the readers really how she got it or the characters haven't really wondered themselves. But I would be even more upset if anybody other than Kaladin got their shard plate or had had a scene where they like say their oaths and then once again like iron man like all of a sudden all these like parts of armor just like fly uh-huh, onto uh-huh. them if that's anybody other than kaladin i'm gonna be very disappointed i guess i definitely want to see the iron man scene now that you described it yeah this is sort of a way in which he's i think he's trying to save that moment for kaladin where he says his oaths and then he gets his shard plate but i I do agree that it is weird that Yasna has shard plate off camera. Okay, so is it not just the case that she got it in this year in between books? I feel like I kind of chalked that up to uh, a year past. This is one of the things that happened that nobody would remark on because they would have all remarked on it when it happened and we just didn't see that. But it's such a big thing to just ignore in a year. Like, it's a huge development. Like, none of the new Radiants have gotten to their fourth oaths yet, other than Yasna, right. apparently. Yeah. It could have been a scene where it's like, oh, like Dalinar's like, she donned her shard plate again. That still is a shock, even though I've seen it a few times now. Exactly. Or, you know exactly. what I mean? That's it. Yeah. Yeah. That's all That's all we needed to, <laughs> for, for, this, for this worst of the best to fall flat. But no, it's an awesome worst of the best, of course. Okay, who's next? I'll go next. So my worst of the best, this could be that I misunderstood the scene a little bit, but maybe not. I don't know. I'm interested to hear what you guys think. So I love the Kaladin scene where he was fighting to destroy the node. And so he he like jumps into the well and uses the Fabriel to propel himself towards it. And then he finds... Uh-huh. R- Rabanio under the water trying to corrupt it corrupt the, the the node and then he destroys it then he tries to escape back out but the pursuer puts a cap at the top of the well so he's not able to get out so then he goes back down and then Rabanio has just kind of disappeared no she she. I think that that's when she slices him Right or no? Is that no, before? No, she sli- she sliced him before, but I think it does mention that he just like goes right by her, and she's oh. just wondering what's going on. Rabanio's a crappy fighter, by the way. This something that may be worth mentioning. <laughs> she has the she has transformation, doesn't she? Which is like basically soul casting. It's it's whatever she's described as like a builder. I don't remember exactly what surge it is, or if it was even explicitly st- stated, but. She'd be able to, you know, shape the stone. Is it? Would that be transformation? I can't well, keep them straight. Didn't she like turn people into puffs of smoke when she was 
when she was she fighting. tried to spear she turned a spear into dust and i think she like attacked someone with some evil inky blackness things so yeah maybe not a terrible yeah. fighter but she doesn't even try to resist kaladin right and you're saying that uh that the it was a cool scene so that was the best part but the worst part was like what the heck happened to rabonia like there's like a little bit of discontinuity out? I guess she's yeah. had chances to kill him in the past, but like if she really wanted to stop him, I feel like she could have stopped him at that point. No, if there's one thing we know about Raboniel, she like is excited by these challenges and doesn't necessarily care about ending threats. So maybe maybe Raboniel has some feelings for Kaladin that she hasn't. <laughs> stop trying to ship Kaladin. <sighs> I'll ship Kaladin Ryan, now. Ryan will take I want to ship Kaladin, all right? Let's marry this man. Send him off somewhere. All right, Josh, where's the best go? So I think my worst of the best has been Wit's scenes so far in the book. I mm. have really liked his, I did like his kind of rap battle with that random high prince, like where he's making all the jokes at his expense and something about his children. I don't know. It was, it was good. Like it was humorous, but there hasn't been yet the deep wit, like I'm going to help you read think who you are and like reimagine yourself to it become will something happen. better it, yeah. it is going to happen sanderson said it will you're you're talking about like kaladin's uh cliff scene and shillon's scene and uh yeah i got Girl you who stood up scene yeah yeah so your worst of the best is impatience josh yes but i feel like <laughs> wit has so i feel like wit has gotten a lot of screen time in this book but has been just doing his wit self not his hoid self okay that's fair. Yeah. What do you guys uh, to kind of play off of this? What do you make of the the Thyatikar revelation to Yasna and all that? Or is, is that maybe the best thing that you're going to talk about? Well, my my whole best thing is that I feel like the best is yet to come with this. You know, like it's just the worst because it hasn't happened yet, and I feel like it, okay. there's been opportunities for it to happen, especially with Yasna. Remind but, me what the revelation um, was the Thyatikar revelation that he's a world hopper. It has known him. In several other locations. Yeah. What's known him in other worlds and now is the time to reveal. We talked about this in the Discord. Steven thinks that we haven't seen this person before. I think of this person, his name begins with a K and that you would have you've known him from other Mistborn books. I'm not gonna say anything because I don't want to spoil anything for other people. But I don't know. I, I just feel like we've seen him. I don't think so, man. I think he's new. I think I think he's a new. He's like the anti Hoyd or something. He's someone from Hoyd's backstory, because he says he's clashed with them, you know, several times over the years. Okay, to kind of finish things up because we're we're running low on time. My worst of the best was Dalinar's Dalinar's interaction with Nail, and how he's kind of he was introduced to his connection powers, or kind of he saw flashbacks of Nail's life. And it was very, okay, so this is why it's the worst of the best, because it was a really cool scene. I wanted to, like, spend a lot of time and try and, find, like, figure out and piece together what each of those flashbacks meant. And, like, if uh-huh. if we, like, could know them or if, like, we should know them. It was just a very, like, a scene that felt like it packed much more of a punch than I was, like, willing to, like, give because I wanted to kind of keep on reading and not spend, like, an hour dissecting that. So, anyway... And then I really also like 
like the fact that Downar has these powers that he's beginning to investigate and he's kind of trying trying it on these poor soldiers that he's like, hey, come over here. Let me see if I can like discern your past. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, that's kind of messed up. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, it's kind of, yeah, worse than the best. It's mostly best, but like it all, it was the worst because I'm like trying to learn about down its new powers while trying to figure out like these in-depth things about nail. Um, it that scene does kind of show, I think, the relative power level of Harold's because Zeth was just like totally dismantled by Nail, and we know that Zeth is no pushover because he killed like multiple shard bearers at a time when he was the assassin in white, just assassinating all these people. Oh, yeah, and, and almost was a match for Kaladin, yeah. Yeah, and so like we think that yeah. these radiants are so good, but then Nail just kind of comes up. And it also reminded me a little bit of the scene in Indiana Jones where that guy is like twirling his sword around and then Indiana Jones just like pulls out his gun and shoots him. Like Nail's like come in, like just like beats up all these people. And then <laughs> and then the Stormfather's like, wait, just touch him. And so that then Dalinar's just like, oh, okay, poke. And then he's like, oh my gosh, and runs away. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I guess. Why did he run away? I, w- let's speculate more. Uh, we are low on time, but I guess, uh, like you say, Ryan, if, uh, if heralds are concerning, then we should be concerned about what we're, uh, what we're up against here with Ishar going into part four. So if you like Ontology, you can find more of our reviews. We're going to continue to review the rest of the book, and that will all be online at www.phantologybooks.com. You can support us at patreon.com slash phantology underscore books and we talked about a lot of theories and things we weren't necessarily sure about there's a lot of details in the book we apologize for mistakes but if you want to talk about uh, those things with us more you can do that on discord invites are in the episode description on our website wherever Uh, we're out there we're easy to find okay guys back to reading part four we excited to finish up yes sir very I'm excited. glad that we recorded this. Now I can uh, honestly go into part four without having to worry about potentially spoiling things. Uh-huh. It's been... It hasn't been as hard as I thought it would be, but there have okay. been a couple that's, times. That's good. I've been like... Oh, Probably when I've said right. my theories. Shut up, Ryan. Like when Kaladin kisses Raboniel. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. All right. See you guys later.